You know, we've been uh, focused on the Decalogue, and uh, last week we combined commandment number 7, commandment number 10, and uh, that leaves only 8 and 9 to cover. So are you excited about that? I know you are. You're on the edge of your seat. It basically boils down to these, these two things, no stealing and no lying. You got it? All right, we're good. We can go home now since you, since you understand. <laughs> um, but in a way, we have covered these two. You, you, you might not think of all of this being wrapped around a consensus of thought with a decalogue. That, that it, it's just ten words. That's what it means, ten words. The ten statements that God gave Moses and inscribed them on two tablets of stone. And those two tablets of stone were to be kept in the Ark of the Covenant. It was the centerpiece of God's law that he would give to the people of Israel. Um, and I think if we, last week we kind of shifted to what is the positive side of these things. These are negative things. And this is why I think we're going to take a different look, a different angle at don't steal and don't lie about people. Uh, what is the other side of that? What is the opposite side of that? And uh, so I came up with this title, the Decalogue respect because respect is at the core of the Ten Commandments primarily to respect God and if you respect him you respect what he's saying here and to respect others and so all these things that deal with other people from commandment number five on down to ten deal with our interpersonal relationships if we respect people or honor people honor could be also a word and it's found in the, what the fifth commandment honor your father and mother so these are the positive sides. If you do this, you don't... Carl Strader used to say in his sermons, be so busy doing what you're supposed to do that you don't have time to do what you shouldn't be doing. Isn't that a better thing than trying not to sin? In other words, do what God's called us to do. Be about His purpose. Because every single one of us in this room, we were created for a unique purpose. And I not only believe that, for you that are sitting in this room. But when you're in a restaurant and you see people across the way, a young mother with a child, just the two of them, God has a purpose for her life. And he has a purpose for that child sitting in that high chair. We may not think of things that way, but I think we can walk up to any person with, with some liberty that we might be able to exercise and say, you know, God created you for a unique purpose. I hope that you discover what he made you for, that you go on a search for that. And so these are rules, rules to live by, boundaries, you might say, that God put around the people and says, these are the boundaries by which I want society to function within the community of the Israelite nation. This was long before kings would arrive. This was to be the cohesive uh, connections of families and, and communities. This is what they were supposed to do on their own with no outside. This was a theocracy that God was creating with the nation of Israel. You mentioned the judges. He gave certain people. Moses was a leader. Joshua was a leader. It wasn't that they didn't have leadership. But when they settled in the land and Manasseh and Ephraim and all of the different tribes of Israel began to settle into land, their parcels of land, it was up to them to keep that law. With no outside structure, no police, no security, it was within those communities they would build a, a, a custom of honoring God, honoring each other. But let's like look at, at the, the history of law 
this is one of the things I, I kind of ran into when I was uh, uh, interacting with atheists uh, on Twitter, and then I just reached a point I couldn't do it anymore. Uh, so I had to j uh, check out of that. But I would ask them, where does, where does right and wrong come from? Who said that rape is wrong? And we might say innate. And, and listen, if anybody tells you there's no such thing as absolutes, there's an absolute. That it's always wrong. It doesn't matter whether, you know, the Lesotho government, it's a little nation inside of South Africa, used to be able, to, it used to have a legal activity of rape. There was no charging of rape. Now all of that has changed just because of public awareness. But I would ask the atheists, what, what makes right and wrong? I said, well, it's, we, we self-realized ourselves. That's the best they could come. I said, well, it comes from a law. It comes from rules. And, and you have the law of Moses. And even before that, I want to show you this uh, stele that was uh, uncovered in an archaeological dig, if it's up here. And this is a little over seven feet tall. So I want you to think of that in uh, the context of it just being a picture. It's on display right now in Louvre, in the Museum Louvre in Paris. Um, what you're looking at is about 3,800 years old. And it's the Code of Hammurabi. Probably some of you have heard about the Code of Hammurabi. It's one of the oldest codified systems of right and wrong, everything dealing with liabilities, uh, contracts, receipts of payment, divorce, family interaction. And, the, and Hammurabi was a king in Babylon in that era, in the 18th century before Christ. And on the back side, I want, to take, I want you to take a, a closer look on the back side is about 200 and I think 82 laws are mentioned on the back side. You can't see the, the script, but it's engraved in this basal stele. And it was uncovered in 1901 by an archaeological team led by a Frenchman, which I'm not going to try to pronounce his name because I would butcher it up pretty bad. But it was uncovered in modern-day Iran in 1901. Now, Hammurabi was Babylonian. So how did what he inscribed for his system, how did that end up in a, a neighboring, uh, I guess, adversary, uh, Persia? Some say that Cyrus the Great probably took it on one of his victorious ex excursions into uh, old Babylon, and that's where they found it in Susa, which is in modern-day Iran. It has the first mention of eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. Literally, inscribed on the back of that uh, stele is, if someone causes you to lose eyesight in one of your eyes, the, the person who caused that has to lose their eye. Literally. And if you cost somebody the use of their right arm, guess what happened to you? You had to lose your right arm. It was, if you were caught stealing, they killed you. If a surgeon messed up, that was not good for him. And it went through all of these things. And this law, this law kind of codified it separately for slaves and freedmen. And there was different laws for men and women, which was not uncommon in that culture. Uh, women did not have near the protection of, of the law as men. But this was a pagan monarch. But I want you to hear the preface 
of, um, of him calling out that he was, he was appealing to two deities that by their name he would bring justice and righteousness to their, their system of, of governance. And it never, it never would have appeared to them that God, they, he really appealed, appealed to their God as the endorsement of him making all of these rules. 400 years later, after this code was written down, God gave Moses the Decalogue. And he spelled out over 600 other rules as it broke down into culture. Everything from how we treat people, how we deal with liabilities. If you have an ox that is known to gore people and you uh, are negligent, there's a price to pay. If he injures someone, there's a heavier price to pay if that ox kills someone. So all these liabilities, Alexander Sonora would have had a wonderful time in all of that. I'm sure he would have a lot of business to deal with. But included in the core of these decalogues is these two words, don't steal and don't tell lies on your neighbor. And he says that's part of having a healthy society is that you treasure and you respect what people have and you treasure people's integrity, that you don't malign them falsely. Paul was well acquainted about the legal system he was in. He was a Roman citizen. And as a Roman citizen, he had certain perks that nobody else had, like the rest of the church primarily, hardly any of them, any of the leadership. The apostles had, the original apostles had no protection under Roman law. Paul had protection under Roman law, and he could not be arrested without due cause. He could not be beaten without due process. And that happened in Philippi, and he told them, he says, you beat me, I'm a Roman citizen, you shouldn't have beaten me. And so they got all scared and tried to tell them, could you just leave? And he says, well, I'll leave when I get ready because it's your fault. So they were really nervous that he was going to press some kind of violations on the rulership of Philippi. But Paul also was protected from being killed by crucifixion. And when Nero condemned him to death, he got a more merciful execution, he was beheaded. Peter later on in Nero's reign was condemned to death by crucifixion. But Peter's own desire and own request was, I'm not worthy to be crucified upward like my Savior. I would rather be upside down crucified. And so this was, this was what happened if you were not a Roman citizen. Beheading is a gruesome thing, but I'm telling you, it's a lot more merciful than hanging on a cross for days until you expire. And that's what Paul, Paul knew the system. He dealt with in the system. And everybody knew in Roman law that stealing was wrong. Do you realize that even thieves believe stealing's wrong? Because after they steal something, if somebody steals it from them, they get angry. That's what, that's what drove the mafia in Chicago. Their whole idea is that this is our ground we're stealing from these people, and you can't come in and steal our stuff. And so even people who are thieves don't like someone taking their stuff from them. Perjury is also wrong, bearing false witness, especially if it's under oath. It is also a crime. So what is the opposite of lying? Telling the truth, right? It's not a trick question. <laughs> I know I, I'm, I'm about to give you a trick question here in just a moment. I'll give you a heads up. 
What is the opposite of stealing? It's not, it's not a negative, I don't steal, so that's the opposite of stealing. Now, I want you to think about it. Don't, don't say any answer right now. Just think about it. We're going to come back to this. This is why I think we need to look at, a, at these two commandments from a different angle. Paul would write about law in Romans 13. We're going to go there a little bit later, which is a must-read. It is, it is one of the great chapters in Romans. In fact, all of Romans is great to read. But I want to take you to 1 Timothy chapter 1, and I want you to see something that Paul writes about the law and uh, how it applies and why it applies to us, and he explains some things, and I found this kind of interesting. This is later in Paul's life. The last two books that he wrote were the two letters to Timothy. So he was at this point very familiar with being in jail. In fact, a certain section of Paul's epistles are, are titled prison epistles that he wrote all of them, like Philippians, he wrote that in jail. He he was very familiar with being in jail. I doubt if he put that on a resume, he would get many you know, request the pastor of the church. You know, I've spent like 15 years in jail, but it was not my fault. But he writes to Timothy, and I want you to pick this up in verse 8. And I believe I put all of this up here. It's kind of smaller print just to get it all in one slide. We know that the law is good if one uses it properly. How about that? That's deep thought, isn't it? <laughs> the law is good if one uses it properly. We also know that the law is made not for the righteous. The law is not made for the righteous, but for lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly, the sinful, unholy, irreligious, for those who kill their fathers or mothers for murders, for the sexually immoral, for those practicing homosexuality, for slave traders, liars, and perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, kind of like covers the rest of the stuff, that conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God which he entrusted to me. And he is primarily here referring to the Torah, the law of Moses as it applied to the people of Israel. In Romans 13, he actually talks about law in the civil uh, arrangement of law. But he's speaking about the Decalogue. Primarily, he mentions some of the things about the Decalogue later on. The Mosaic Law handed down 1,300 years before Christ. But he's really talking about the Decalogue and beyond it. Everything that he's referring to here is things outside of what we should be doing with our lives. This is what Paul is referring to. The law is good if one uses it properly. It's not made for righteous but for lawbreakers. Paul never, ever suggested in his writings that we find our way in the favor of God by keeping rules. In fact, he was the, he was the model of that not working. Because he would later brag, says, I was a Pharisee above all of my contemporaries. Nobody could keep the rules like I kept the rules. And yet he's, he's talking about some of the things that's out of bounds, and this is what the law applies to. I want, to, I want you to take a look at the rest of this. And I, I wanted to put all of this on, but I put verse 15. This is the same chapter. I'm going to continue reading. If you're there, I'm going to pick this up in verse 12. This is immediately following verse 11. And, and like I said, I only put uh, on the next slide verse 15. Is it, is it the next slide up? 
I don't have verse 15. Okay, if you got your Bibles, read it with me. This is 1 Timothy 1.12. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength. This is right after he's talked about the laws for the lawbreaker. I want you to hear what he applies to himself. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man. Boy, those are heavy confessions, aren't they? He was a blasphemer. They crucified Jesus on the charge of blaspheming. That's the only thing they could come up with in their mock trial of Christ. False witnesses claiming things that he said that he didn't say. And Paul says, I was a blasphemer. I was a persecutor, a violent man. But I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. I did all of that in ignorance. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Now here's verse 15. Listen. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came to the world to save sinners. He came to the world to save sinners. It, didn't Jesus say, I didn't come into the world to seek out the righteous. I came to seek and to save the lost. I didn't come to call the righteous to repentance. I came to call sinners to repentance. And this is what Paul is saying. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Of whom, if you had a line forming who's the worst of sinners, Paul said, I just excuse myself and go to the front of the line and say, that would be me. That would be me the way my conduct was before the grace of God came into my life. That would be me. A violent man taking all kind of measures to disrespect human life to the point that he approved the stoning of Stephen. I wonder what kind of conversation Stephen and, and Paul had when Paul got to heaven. I think they kind of high-fived each other. Yeah, it turned out pretty good, didn't it? We're here, we're together, isn't it great? All of that was under the blood of Jesus. It was all forgiven. But for the very reason I was shown mercy, so that in me the worst of sinners, he says, I'm the model. So if there's anybody out there that feels they're a really bad person, he said, just look at me. That the worst of sinners Christ Jesus might display in his own life his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible. Don't you love verse 17? The only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. What Paul was doing, he was admitting that he disrespected the character of God. He disrespected people like Stephen. He disrespected men, women, and children as sometimes he would arrest entire families in the Christian community and incarcerate them. It's no telling how many people he approved for death beyond Stephen. So we go back to those two statements. Don't steal. Don't tell lies on your neighbor. Can we conclude that sin is selfish and deceitful? Sin steals and would rather lie than tell the truth. In verse 10 it says, liars and perjurers are, are identified as lawmakers. Just tell the truth. Just tell the truth. When our son dropped the bomb on us, 
graduate from UA with a business degree and just was miserable. Spent a year and a half in South Central LA with the Dream Center driving um, a story hour van. He was just, he just could not find his niche where he was happy. And so he spent a year and a half, probably some of the greatest months he had was going to those poor neighborhoods in South Central LA. You know, you thought, well, that's dangerous. No, those guys were more protected than anybody else in the community because the older teenagers there knew their younger siblings needed what the Dream Center was doing. And he came back and he told us, told me one day, he said, I've been talking to a recruiter. I said, a recruiter? Yeah, a Navy recruiter. I says, the military? <laughs> you're, you're talking to a military guy? I says, I says that's not you, buddy. You're, you're too low-key. You know, you're just kind of nonchalant going through life. They're going to be in front of you, cursing you for every word they can think of, and their saliva is going to be splattering your face while they're cursing you. And you think you're ready for that? And he, I would never get his answer. He said, Daddy, I worked as a manager for the Alabama football team. They cannot say anything worse than the coaches had said to us. I said, well, I could believe that. I said, you sure you? But what he wanted to do and what they wanted him to do after different interviews and the ASVAP and a language test in Montgomery, they really went after him. It really turned out to be a recruiting, offering him bonuses, offering this. And, but he would be in intelligence. And I, I'll never forget what he, he, I think it was a recruiter told him, says, now, Jason, you're going to be vetted. And whatever they ask you, tell the truth. If you had speeding tickets, if you had brushes with the law, tell them. If you ever smoked pot, if you ever did anything, if they ask you a point blank, yes or no question, be honest. Tell the truth because they will find out. And we had people all over Tuscaloosa calling us as, hey, there's somebody from, I think, the Department of Defense that was asking us about Jason. And I don't even know how they knew he had connections to them. Tell the truth. This is what they said to him. You will, you will miss out by lying quicker than anything else. And when I see what he went through and the vetting of people like Supreme Court nominees, if something happens, they will know about it. I'm telling you, they will know about it. Just tell the truth. He did, and I don't even know what he did. I don't want to know what he did. I, wanna, I don't want to know the answers to his questions. <laughs> Because if you're like me, when I was a teenager, I'm glad that my parents didn't know everything I did. That was perfectly fine for me for not them not to know. But what is telling the truth is opposite of stealing. But what is the op, or opposite of lying? But what is the opposite of stealing? Now, I pose that question to you. Maybe it's, think about it for a moment. Taking something that doesn't belong to you something that is not rightfully yours, what is the opposite of that? What virtue counters stealing? Generosity. That's, that's the right answer. How do you know that? 
But it's generosity connected to something. You're going to see, I mean, this is spelled out. It's one thing, you know, I've never been tempted to rob a bank. It's not been one of my temptations. Aren't you glad for that, Brenda? That I've never been tempted to do that. But <laughs> the devil knows where to test us, doesn't he? <laughs> so he doesn't even bother with some of those things. The opposite of lying is telling the truth. The opposite of stealing is generosity, but generosity comes out of something. Here's where I want to take you. This is Ephesians chapter 4. This is a great verse. Hopefully I put this on the slide. Yes. You know, we kind of get a little humor here. This is uh, in the King James. Him that steal, steal no more, but let him labor. And if you, if you do the punctuation wrong there, it really changes it. Let him that steal, steal no more, let him labor. So, <laughs> and that's the opposite. <laughs> but I want you to see this verse. It's a work ethic. One of the great values to not being tempted to take something that's not ours is to have a healthy work ethic, to be a child of God, to understand the value of other people's property. But listen to it. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands. Here comes the generosity part. That they may have something to share with those in need. It is a generous soul that is the antithesis to stealing. The opposite of taking is giving. A healthy work ethic counters stealing. It allows for generosity. It allows for to have something in your hands. Do your alms is what Jesus said in Matthew. Do your alms not to bring attention to yourself, but just because you want to do it. And God who sees in secret will reward you openly. God sees those things where you don't want other people to know your generosity. God knows it, and he somehow blesses you. Not everybody will know that, but he knows it. He sees your generosity. Studying for an exam is work, right? Especially in physics and courses like that. Those would give me a brain cramp. Studying for an exam is work. And as you gain the information ready for an exam, that does not mean you're generous with the answers. It doesn't mean that you give to your other classmates during the test help. In 2000, September 2000, we went to Russia on a missions trip to uh, 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 Alexandrov about 50 kilometers or so outside of Moscow. And we worked on a church. We were there for a little over a week. And my name was given to uh, one of the area directors there for the Simmons of God to see if I could come back the following spring and teach two courses at the Far East uh, extension of the Moscow Theological Institute. Forest meaning as far east in Russia you can get without going into China. In Habaris, a city of about 600,000 people. He says, but it'll take four weeks, half a week to, for the travel, 
there and back and three weeks of teaching homiletics and acts. And I had about a 20-something-year-old young lady named Olga did not look like Olga. She was tall and thin, very low-key. She was my interpreter. And the challenge for teaching homiletics to those students from about an area, Siberia was encompassed in that east uh, area. There was all these students, and she interpreted for me, but I couldn't gauge whether they preached the sermon right. They they all had to preach a five-minute sermon, have all of the things. And and I said, you're going to have to grade them. And she says, okay. And then I hear her fussing with them because she would mark it wrong. And they would come up, and they, I said, what was that? He says, he said he did that. And I told him, no, he didn't. He, he lost points. I says, oh, okay. And she turned around, and she says, and I need to tell you that when you do a test, they will cheat. I said, excuse me? I said, these are pastors, associate pastors. They, they will cheat. They will cheat. And I said, uh, you're, you're, you're losing me here. She said, it was 10 years after the fall of communism. She says, it's still a residual effect of communism, which especially a lead pastor with an associate pastor would tell the associate pastor, it's your responsibility to give me the answers because we're together. (laughs) We're supposed to help each other. And I says, okay. And she she would police them. She said, they're cheating, and she'd go and stop them. And then when she'd come back, and I says, what did he say? He's told me that if I ever wanted another interpreting job at his church, I better just look the other way. I says, he said, what? I says, what kind of people do we have leading churches in Russia? But we had people whose ideology approved them doing something, taking information that they did not work for. They didn't take the time to study So they wanted to take other people's work for their own. In a way, cheating is a form of stealing, isn't it? Spending money that's not ours. The the, uh, dot-com scandals a number of years ago. The horrific news that some people took the retirement savings of people thinking they were investing in a very good investment, and then they were left with nothing. God even told people in Israel, You're robbing me. You're stealing from me. Through Malachi, and he says, well, how are we stealing from you? You're stealing with tithes and offerings. Those are not yours. Those are mine. And spending what's mine is stealing. You're stealing from me. And if you want to correct it, start bringing what's mine to the tabernacle. Bring what's mine to the temple. Bring what's mine that I've called for you. That's tenth. That first fruits of your increase, bring that. And the respect for God keeps us from taking what's His. Does it not? And if there's one word that comes close to respect, I want to take you to one last slide and one last passage. And if the praise team can come up. This is from Romans 13. This is a great chapter on law, on the respect of law. And you ought to read the whole chapter. I'm going to take just a, two or three verses from it, 8 and 9 and 10. But this is probably the closest word to respect that 
embodies us not stealing and not lying, not bearing false witness. He says in verse 8, Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another, for whosoever loves others has fulfilled the law. And I think I only put up 9 and 10 that follows it. The commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. And whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Does that sound familiar? But look at verse 10. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Love does not inflict harm on someone else. Boy, that covers more than stealing and lying. That covers how we interact with each other. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Jesus said, when he was asked about the greatest commandment, he says, really, there's one. You're to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. But the second one is like it. You're to love your neighbor as yourself. We need a fresh baptism of the love of God. We need to see people, I said this in the message about in the image of God, we need to see people like he sees people. We see, we see people that we're repelled by. But when I walk through the RV park that we're going to do an outreach in a couple weeks, God is showing me those people through his eyes. They're broken. They will steal if you leave something out. But they're kind of like Paul. They don't know any different until the love of God enters their soul and their eyes are open that God has something better for them. God has a better life for them, not a life of exclusion, not a life of alienation. There's many of them in that community that has nothing to do with any of their relatives. They burned all the bridges. But God wants to build a new bridge in their life. A bridge to Him. And once He restores them, look out for the restoration of the rest of their mess. Would you stand with me? And here's what we're going to pray. We, we talked about this the other day about just having a time of prayer for people. We believe in healing. We believe in miracles. We believe God wants to remedy your situation. If you're dealing with sickness, you're dealing with a, a problem that just won't go away. Physically, we want to lay hands on you this morning and pray for God to touch you. So as we sing, I want you to just come and stand here. We're going to pray for everyone that is fighting something that you need God to give you relief.